Dallas home. How are you today? I'm doing good. You? Good. Yeah. Yes, doing well. Enjoying these. This is episode four, and we're going to be talking about a song called Heal Me that was from 1988. But before we do that, what's our point of interest today? Oh, I love this picture. This is I do too. Uh, <laughs> our first grandson, their first son. They have four children. This is Jacob when he was just very, very little. Weeks old. And uh, so when you came up to Minnesota to meet yeah. him, and he was two weeks old when you guys got there. And we were both worn out in this picture, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, as we sit here now doing this, um, Jacob is graduating uh, from Lindale High School, a senior, plans to go to Texas A&M. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Giga <laughs> Maggie's. <laughs> yep. So we're excited about that. But uh, yeah, he's, a, he's a wonderful young man. Little baby there now, if he were in here, he's probably got me by two inches. You know, I look up to yeah. him. Uh, but he looks up to me, too, in other ways. So <laughs> yes, we have a great relationship. You wonderful young man. Uh, Jennifer and her husband, Jason, have four children, Jacob being the oldest, then Sophia, Alex, and Caleb. So three boys, one girl. And then our son, Jeffrey, your brother, is married to a Jennifer. Yes. We've got a boatload of Jays. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got Jacob, Jason, Jennifer, uh, who else? Another Jennifer. Yeah. So Jeffrey and Jennifer uh, and their little girl, Ava, who is five, they live in Nashville. So uh, we've been yeah. we've been so very very blessed, but yeah, from time to time we'll probably you'll probably know our whole family by pictures. In fact, we'll have Linda on some of these podcasts too, my wife, because uh, you need yeah. to hear from her and see her and how she's doing. Yes. Well, this song, "Heal Me," I remember this because when you recorded this, it was very much in reference to Mom's battle with cancer, the right. first round, 1987. She was first diagnosed. But another reason I remember it is because the female who sang background on this song came up and stayed with us. She was she was a teenager at the time. Yeah, I think, I think, so. I think yeah, she might have be. either been in high school or just out of high school. And I was probably uh, 13, 12, 13. And of course, I just thought it was so cool that she was yeah. there. And she went on to be a great singer-songwriter. Uh, Susan Ray Hill is who she was then. Susan Ashton is probably how you know her. But yeah. How did you get hooked up with her to sing this? And I think it was through Neil, uh, who produced the album, Neil Joseph. And I mm -hmm. honestly don't remember, other than I, I suspect that she had done probably some background vocals. Uh, fabulous voice. Mm -hmm. uh, seriously, one of my all-time favorite voices. Yes. Just such a great texture, great emotion, uh, a great vocalist. And uh, haven't seen her in years. Actually, I met her dad. We were doing a concert somewhere, I don't remember where, and... Her dad came up, that was probably back in the 90s, and, oh, you know my daughter, and, and that was <laughs> yeah. kind of neat, you know, and I, I think I got her phone number, and I tried to call, but, it, you know, she was out on the road, and we never connected, but, uh, yeah, that yeah. was that was a lot of fun. She, she's a phenomenal, I, I mean, in my mind, she's still, whatever, 18 or 19, yeah. but she's moved on from Yeah, there. yeah. Well, Heal Me, you start out this chapter with um, a story about hunting in the mountains, which... I know is one of your very favorite things to do. Uh, maybe fishing is up right up there, yeah. vying for first place. But uh, tell about that. Yeah, anything outdoors. That's uh, I've always, I've always said I, I minister just enough to support my hunting and fishing habit. <laughs> it's not true, no. but yeah, there are people who learn to hunt and learn to fish, and I, I just think that's great. I think anybody that learns to enjoy those things. But then there are people that are just born with that love and and that was me my my parents used to say if we pull up to a body of water whether it's a mississippi river or a lake somewhere 
that before the car stopped, I had the door open and I was out. I just had to be by the water. I had to be fishing. If we stopped near a wooded area, they always had, Dallas, come back here, because I was heading for the woods. It was just a natural, yeah. I wanted to be on the water. I wanted to be near the water. I wanted to be in the woods exploring all of God's creation. So that's been a lot of my life. I, I've tried to think sometimes of all my outings, backpacking, hunting, fishing. If I total that all up, how much of my life have I been out in the woods on the water? I would guess it would translate into a significant amount of time, mm -hmm. uh, possibly even a, a couple of years that I've you know literally spent out in the woods. And I, I just love it. And this particular story that I reference in the book, I was in Colorado up uh, on the Grand Mesa near Grand Junction, Colorado. I was elk hunting with some friends. And I wanted to get a really high vantage point. There was a particular place where there was a high rocky point and then a very deep valley that came in and you could see across to another point. And it was just a great place for elk. It was also a great place to see a, a lot of real estate uh, with, your, with your binoculars. And I got up there and I, I had only been there a short period of time. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, a weather change, and I don't know exactly what all the science, the particulars, what causes this. I was probably at about 10,000, maybe 10,500, something like that. So this bank of clouds came in below me, uh, probably a good 500 to 1,000 feet below me. But it came in as far as the eye could see, this bank of clouds came in wow. and literally blotted out everything. I couldn't see across the canyon I'd been looking at. I couldn't see, you know, the river that had been down below me. I, I couldn't see anything. Until I looked way in the distance, there was a mountain range. I could see snow-capped Rocky Mountains way, way off in the distance. And I remember thinking, oh, man, that's pretty. That's just this blanket of cottony, cushiony clouds, solid as far as the eye could see. But way, way off in the distance were some snow-capped mountains. Well, later, when we got back into camp, and, and interestingly enough, that those clouds moved in. I mean, you could just see them move in within a matter of moments. But then when they left, when the weather changed, they just rolled back just out and everything. It was so strange. Well, I talked about that. Of course, everybody that was out hunting experienced that. My vantage point, some of the guys were below the clouds. I was actually up above them. And I said, oh, I saw some mountains way off in the distance, uh, snow-capped mountains. And the gentleman I was hunting, me with, uh, hunting with me uh, was from that area. And he said, which direction? I told him, well, it would, would have been kind of north, a little bit east. And he said, oh, yeah, those mountains, I think he said, were over 100 miles away. Wow. I said, really? You can see 100 miles? He said, oh, yeah, when you're up at this height and there's nothing in between, which there isn't. Those are 14ers, yeah. you know, 14,000-foot mountains you're looking at. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a such an amazing spectacle to see those clouds come in, go back out very suddenly, unexpected, but to be able to have that point of reference of those mountains over 100 miles away. Well, then in 87, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. This hunting trip, of course, took place probably a year or so before that. And again, I, I wish I could remember all the specifics of exactly where I was. And I remember I was out in my studio and I started working on this song. This was a very difficult time. Linda was going through chemo. She had lost all of her hair, which a lot of ladies, I, and I understand that's, you know, a, a hair is a crowning glory to a lady. Yeah. If you knew my wife, she's kind of like, whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean, she actually cut her hair off before she had the chemo, cut it kind of short, because she yeah. said, well, if I can lose it, I might as well get a head start. Mm -hmm. But she lost everything. I mean, she was bald as a billiard ball. 
And not just that, she was on chemo and, of course, pretty strong chemo, four different drugs that she was on at that time. And oftentimes when you're in that kind of chemo regimen, you get almost kind of a pale sort of colorless look. I mean, her eyebrows, her eyelashes, her hair, everything was gone. So she looked very different. Yeah. And, of course, the chemo makes you sick and weak. And, you know, it was a very, very difficult time. I was out in the studio and it just, it was, again, one of those times where it just came very, very suddenly. And somehow I connected that hunting trip, that picture with the situation of her life that, like that cloud bank had rolled in, this cancer situation had rolled in very, very quickly. And of course the line is, you know, uh, the only way to, to achieve that beautiful perspective is to journey through the lowly valley floor. That's right. Uh, which, you know, we've done off and on through the years. I remember after I finished the song, I, uh, I went into Linda and I said, I want you to hear a song. And this one I wrote at the piano. So I sat at the piano and she put headphones on and stood behind me and listened to the song, Heal Me. And it was, it was one of those uh, pretty special moments. Mm -hmm. Yes. Tough. And while he, the Lord hasn't taken the cancer away, he has definitely been with you all. With all of us through oh, every yeah. moment of the lowly valley floor, which now is 32, yeah. 33 years. Well, I remember one of, one of Linda's great concerns when she got cancer, 87, you would have been, what? Uh, 13. 13. And Jeffrey would have been... Four. Four. I remember Linda saying early on, I don't remember if she said it early on, but after the fact, she said she thought early on, mm -hmm. will I live to see my... Uh, daughter graduated from high school, <laughs> yeah. which now you graduated from high school, went to college, Jeffrey's graduated, got five grandkids. Yep. Now our She's about to see her first grandkid grand graduate from <laughs> high school. <laughs> so God has been so faithful. Absolutely. But, but it's, been a, um, it's been a long journey. It has. Yes, it has. Yes. But the Lord has been faithful. And, and his grace is sufficient. Yes, it is. Yeah. And many times you've said that we all want the high vantage point uh, when you walk up a mountain and it's beautiful and you can see for a hundred miles yeah. and you can get perspective and we want to live there, but there's not a lot of life going on there, right? No, and that, that was one of the other, you know, thoughts that accompanied this. And I, I noticed it before, but it, it factored into this that, you know, in, in my adventures, <laughs> I've been to the top of some pretty tall mountains. I've been over mm -hmm. fourteen thousand feet. I've hunted at uh, you know twelve to thirteen thousand feet. Where if you're a flatlander like we are in Texas, man, it's brutal. It's hard to breathe. Mm -hmm. Your legs feel like rubber. Your heart feels like it's gonna explode. You you can get disoriented. You can actually die from mm -hmm. from that kind of uh, elevation if you're not used to it. But the one thing I've noticed is we talk a lot about mountaintop experiences. In fact. When we were little kids, they taught this uh, little song in Sunday school. Climb, climb up Sunshine Mountain. Happy breezes <laughs> blow. Some said heavenly yeah. breezes blow. And I was kind of a kid. I go, man, we mess with little kids. You know, where is Sunshine Mountain? Yeah, I want to live there. Yeah, and I can tell you that oftentimes at the high elevation, there are no happy breezes. Yeah. You can literally get blown off the mountain if you're not careful. And people do every year die from... Uh, oftentimes, in fact, we were up in Arizona just a few years ago, and the guide we were with going through this beautiful uh, Native American uh, place, uh, canyon, and they said there had been a gentleman standing up there with his, I think it was his fiance, and a 
sudden oh. gust of wind and he just went off over the edge. So that's the reality of, of you know, high elevation yeah. and wind. Then the fact that the air's so thin, I mean, top of the mountain, there's nothing going on up there. Right. Uh, there's no elk running around the top of the mountain. Uh, it's pretty well lifeless. There's no trees growing up there. No trees growing up there. In fact, I've noticed mm -hmm. from the highest vantage point, if you can look in the deepest valley, you'll find the tallest trees, the most dense underbrush, and that's where the animals are. And I've always likened that to life is lived in the valley. Yeah. Uh, we know this in nature. We ought to know it in the spiritual journey as well, that God gives us mountaintop experiences yes. uh, for perspective, for refreshment, uh, to regroup. But it was never intended that we should live our lives yeah. on a spiritual mountaintop any more than we would expect to live our lives on a natural mountaintop. It, yes. it just it isn't practical. It doesn't happen. That isn't where life happens. And so uh, we, we get back down into the demon-possessed valley, as one writer put it. But we hold on to the hand of the one who has pioneered the trail and led many a weary pilgrim through even the valley of the shadow of death. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Don't really mean to cry on these things, but I get moved by this stuff. <laughs> Brings back memories. Yes. <laughs> yeah. How long have I been traveling? Days or years, sometimes I just don't know. And how deep is this valley and how many more miles must I go? My body's growing weary. Seems my strength has all but slipped away. Oh God, you've got to help me. Place your healing hand on me today. Yeah. What would you say to someone who that resonated within their spirit, that that's how they feel at this moment? Well, and I guess I, I would almost want to clarify for anyone who might be thinking, boy, Dallas just, I guess, doesn't have much faith for... No. Healing, just take it as it comes. No, that's not it no. at all. We pray for healing every day. Absolutely. <laughs> he, he is the great physician. Absolutely. He not was. He is the Lord God that healeth, both Jehovah Rophi and Rapha. Um, he, he is this God who can and does heal. We know that in this present day, as we sit here right now, and some will disagree with this, I don't care. There are blinded eyes that are healed today. There are deaf ears that are made to hear. There are yes. lifeless bodies that are brought back to life today. Uh, or we got a bunch of missionaries that are lying through their teeth. Because <laughs> I talk to missionaries. I hear the stories. Uh, people on the front lines of some of the most difficult uh, sacrificial ministry on the planet. I've got a friend who's been a missionary in Africa for years. And we were talking about this one day. You know, do you see these kind of things? And it's like, oh yeah, all the time. Uh, in fact, it's not even that big a deal in those environments where you say so-and-so, uh, the tribal elder in that village uh, died, but he was brought back to life. And they just kind of go, oh, really? Yeah, because that happens. Yeah. So we pray to a God who we know can heal. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. I see nothing in Scripture, and there's some that will argue with this. Uh, I just, I'll just tell you, I see nothing in Scripture that would in any way indicate that anything the Lord Jesus ever did in his ministry on earth quit working last Thursday at 3 o'clock or any other time, uh, that, that healing power is still available. But for those that take the other extreme, that he is almost obligated, or if you say the magic word, or if you got the prayer formula right, that... Uh, he has to heal you. He doesn't have to do anything. Right. Um, we know from Scripture, in our weakness, his strength is perfected. Everybody wants to be strong. Everybody wants to be healthy. Well, I always say, never, ever underestimate the power of weakness. 
in our weakness, his strength is perfected. So there are purposes and plans of God in the weak, in the difficult times of our life. He brings us to the top of the mountain. He puts us in the valley. He lets us enjoy good health. He sovereignly watches over us as we go through the valley of the shadow, which can be sickness, of even death that can lead to death. Uh, you know, this, this again, as we often say, it's just life on planet Earth. But one day, the great, yes. the great joy is that one day we will never have to ask for healing. We will have new bodies, uh, no more sickness, no more pain, no more sin. Man, yes. heaven is just a great idea, and uh, that's, that's where we're headed. Yep. And now is our chance, our opportunity to be thankful and to be faith-filled, because in heaven, and be thankful in the midst of hard circumstances, um, because in heaven, there aren't going to be hard circumstances. We're going to be <laughs> rejoicing for eternity. Yeah. And that's our hope. I hope you're encouraged today and that you join us for another episode. Thank you.